0: and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And I want to share something that has been rolling around in my head and heart for the last days. And um, I want to just read uh, there's a lot we could read from Hebrews chapter 2. The whole chapter is really about this, but specifically in verse 13, the writer to the Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament. And he he says, halfway through verse 13, um, he's quoting from Isaiah. And he says, and this is the quote, Here am I and the children whom God has given me end of quote verse 14 inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood he himself likewise shared in the same and that is the one of the foundational truths of this gospel this incredible good news this good glad mind boggling news The gospel, it is right there. In quoting Isaiah, Isaiah, I'll read it in a moment, but Isaiah says, Here am I and the children God has given me. And in so saying, he is saying, Of course, I'm human. They are human. I am flesh and blood. They are flesh and blood. And this passage takes that and arrests us by saying well you and I we are flesh and blood but then God himself became flesh and blood so that he could say quite literally I and the children God says I am now one with them I am the same in that I share in totality their humanity do you get this? I mean the the big word for that is incarnation it's what happened in the womb of the virgin mary god in her womb took her humanity our humanity and was born one of us an authentic genuine human being yet without ne- he never ceased to be god and, and so it underscores it here this is the foundation of the gospel That God has become one of us and has joined together with us and not only that is a simple fact, the incarnation carries us through the life of Jesus in which he is tempted in all points like as we are. As I say, an authentic human being. He's not floating five feet in the air, just above our world and just looking down upon us with disdain. No, he he joined us in the mud and he faced our temptations. He He feels the pressure of our tribulations and trials he faces what we face and in every case he chose to obey his father he chooses to trust his father he comes through having never sinned though tempted so he he knows what it is like he's he's a true human being for sin is not an attribute of being human Sin is, is that which came after we were created. And Jesus shows us. He, he, this is what a true human is. But then he who is God and true human in one person. He goes even deeper. And he comes and he embraces us in our sin, in our wrongheadedness in every way in which we've fallen short of the glory that God created us for, and He carried us to death. That's the meaning of His death. He's carrying a mankind to death. And when He rises from the dead, He still is one of us, only now in a body that cannot die, which again is what we were destined for. And the gospel is that not only did he do that and achieve that, not only did he then enter into the God place, the very heaven of heavens, but he gives to us the Holy Spirit so that we are joined to that triumphant humanity of Jesus that uh, where he is we are where we are he is now we're joined with him that's the gospel and this verse that we're looking at though at the present moment it looks like just a snippet but what that is saying here am i and the children whom god has given me he is saying that we he says we're the children having partaken of flesh and blood He says, you're human, you're flesh and blood. Well, he said, he himself likewise shared in the same. Has that ever gotten through our heads? I talk to many believers who who really look astounded when I say that Jesus was totally, totally human. He was more human than any human you know. Because he's what human was always meant to be. He was one of us. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He slept through a hurricane. He, he's, he's the genuine article. He, he's one of us. He said there in John chapter 14 I am in you. God came in and assumed our humanity and looks out of life through our eyes, receives the report of life through our ears. He's one of us and has totally overcome all the powers of the darkness and sin, totally. The whole world of negativity, he carried it to death as the, the new, he's the beginning of a new human race, a human race, a new kind of being human, that we are now joined in solidarity with the human who is God. Now that's it. But, but just a minute, you say, it's not it. This is just that verse. But it carries us back, I say, to the prophet Isaiah, who was the first to say that. what's what's that context hold in mind what I've just said but it's in Isaiah chapter 8 and in verse 17 he says I will wait on the Lord will hope in him here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me but then he goes on we are for signs and wonders in Israel so that's the whole text he says I am the children which the New Testament says that was just a, a f- an image, a, a picture of what was to come when God Himself would say, "I," and of you and I, the children, were the same. But the whole text is, "We are for signs and for wonders." The, the context of, of Isaiah 8, it's a long story. It goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 7. And I won't go there, just enough to outline it quickly. It, it was set in Jerusalem. And it was a day, really and truly, you could say, of terrorism. Because nothing had really happened yet. All they had was rumors that the north, and some things never change, it it was Syria that had joined with the northern tribes of Israel. And and they were going to come down and uh, get rid of the king of Judah and replace that king with a puppet of their own. But nothing had happened, you see. And, And so it was terror. It was everywhere. Everybody was looking, wondering, you know. They didn't have suicide bombers, but that's the the attitude that they had. That somewhere, some place, some unexpected moment, these northerners are going to spring up and take over. And it says that the peoples of Jerusalem and its environs, it says they were... It was like the wind blowing through the woods and bending the trees over. So it says fear swept through the people and bent them before it. They they were a terrified people. It was the weapon of terrorism that was terrifying them. And in the middle of all of that, Isaiah gives the prophecy that rolls down through the ages right to the present moment when he says the day is coming when a virgin shall conceive and be with child you shall call his name Emmanuel that's when that happened but and that was to allay the fears and say don't don't worry there are purposes of God that will be fulfilled and nobody can change it but it didn't change, everybody in Jerusalem continued to be afraid and would you believe it but Isaiah the prophet who gave that by chapter 8 he begins to feel the fears of the people and and he he's almost joining in with the the little conversations going on in the coffee shops and in the bazaars there there's is fear and then the Lord speaks to Isaiah in verse 12 of chapter 8 and says, Do not say a conspiracy or terrorism concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. He says, You are are not to join their conversation and talk about conspiracies. Nor are you to be afraid of their threats, nor to be troubled. They said, what's the matter with you, Isaiah? You know better than this. Don't be afraid of these threats that just hang in the air. Don't be troubled. If you want to be afraid, the Lord of hosts, him you shall set apart. Let him be your fear. You know the word fear means to stand in awe. But he says, if you want to stand in awe of anything, don't stand in awe of the terrorists. Stand in awe of God, that he, he's going to achieve his end. And so the response of Isaiah is what we read. He says, here am I and the children. Here's my family. And he says, we're for signs and for wonders. That That is While everyone around is is locked in as if there is no God. They're terrified of what could happen, might happen, probably will happen. They're they're just terrified. And he says, we stand as signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. We stand out and, and we are a wonder to the people. We're a sign to the people of the God who loves us, cares for us, protects us, and preserves us. I say again, Hebrews quotes that, and essentially says, it finally happened. God became flesh, dwelt among us, and joined us together with Him, so that we, believers, you and I, right in line with jesus himself he says we are for signs and for wonders i i, I trust you get the drift of this let, let, let's look at these two words they're, they're all through the new testament you might be familiar with them signs and wonders well, what does it mean well a sign well that's pretty easy really they're all over our highways a sign, it's an indicator. That's what a sign is. It's, it's a pointing. Whether it's a, a, a sign that's hanging on the top of the freeway, or signs, they, they direct us, they tell us there's an exit coming up, or they tell us there's a dangerous curve, slow down, or they tell us that you are about to come to San Antonio. And, and signs, signs, they're indications it can be a pointing finger, it can be something written, but it's an indicator. And when, when actually, there's an, it played in with that. You know the word significant? Have you ever noticed how we spell it? S-I-G-N. That spells sign. Significant means that it's a person who points away to something that's at the heart of the matter. So that's significant. That is That explains things. That throws light on things. It has significance. And a person who is significant is one who in their life and their wisdom points to the heart of the matter. They're a sign. A sign. And in the scripture, the sign... Whether it be the written word, whether it be a miracle, or a person, such as we're talking about right now, they are signs that indicate, they're pointing away from themselves, in actual fact. That they're pointing with their life, they're pointing with the way they are, and they're pointing to God. And arresting people don't pass this exit, you say, don't pass this exit this is this is God, this is God, okay, put that on hold, a sign and a wonder now that's a much bigger word in the scripture. It means, okay, are you ready for one of those definitions that I give you? Uh, it means a marvel. It means a miracle. That is a, another way of translating the word. It's a miracle. It's a marvel. It, it's, it's a display of God's power. And, and in that, it's a, it's a display. It's something you can see. And, and it's a marvel. It's a wonder. It leaves you with your mouth open. It's a display of God love which is almighty power. When I look at a wonder, it means I've seen something that is outside of all things that I believed were humanly possible. The word wonder could be said to mean that which is outside of possible. You know, I've drawn my line. I, I say, up to this point, something is possible. But beyond that, it's impossible. And when I see the impossible happen, ha, huh, that's it, that's wonder. It, it's, I marvel and stunned, you say, see. Yeah. It, it's outside of the little box that I call human life. So it's outside of my expectancy. The first time this word is used in the scripture is to describe the plagues that hit Egypt. Remember, under Moses, when all the demon gods of Egypt that the people worshipped, whether it be the River Nile or the frogs or the flies or whatever, um... Every one of their gods was flung to the ground by a demonstration of the the God that we worship. And then in the wilderness, the parting of the Red Sea, the cloud that led them, the manna that fed them, the water out of the rock, all those are called wonders. So that gives you an idea of what we're talking about here. Miracles, marvels, yeah, wonders, displays of God's love toward us in His almighty power. So, the word wonder, it means something that's overwhelming. It means shocking. You know, it's, it's beyond my understanding. I can't explain don't ask how don't ask why it's, I don't know it's beyond my understanding it's astonishing it's amazing ok that's, that's a wonder it's, it's a self revelation of God God breaks into our history and reveals himself to us he tells us who he is by what he does And when that happened, and again relating to those things that happened in Egypt and in the wilderness in Isaiah, later on in his prophecy, he says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it been conceived in the mind of mankind, the things that you do. For those who love you, well, there they, you have it, you see. It's beyond what my, eye, my eyes have never seen. That's why it's a wonder. My ears have never heard it. And if I did hear it, I would never understand it. Because my mind cannot conceive it. This is God's stuff. And it doesn't fit into my human box. He reveals to us. His greatness, and every time we think we've seen how great he is, and we've got entabulated in our little doctrinal books, he blows it apart and, and amazes us. Uh, and, and so, wonder it's a testimony to his love. And of course, when God became human, became flesh, lived among us, he performed that which was called signs and wonders wonders that left people amazed and those wonders were not only in the healing of the sick or the, even the raising of the dead it was also when he taught them when he said everything that religion has said to you about God is, is off beginning with don't, don't just call him God he's your father remember the word there Abba, Daddy, Papa and goes on and he taught them this, this way of love this way of total trust in Abba knowing that he loves me and, and loves me and fills me there is love so I love you and it says that when the people heard this and saw what he did there are two two words that are used over and over again to describe their reaction read through the gospels you, you might have slid over it because you weren't looking for it but it's there the response of the people to wonder the signs and the wonders of his teaching and his acting miracles it, the two words they were astonished And they were amazed, those two words. And and they are magnificent words in the original language of the New Testament. I, I just love their definition. It means to be thrown outside of one's mind and senses. I like that. It says, I've just seen something and my mind is shut down. I, I, I can't I, 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 yeah I've run out of words I've seen something and I can't even say I, I I don't have the words I'm astonished I'm amazed I've been thrown outside of my senses I, I'm almost I I'm almost without feeling I'm so overwhelmed with feelings that don't fit my five senses and so the word has a secondary meaning of Out of self control. Uh, It also means I've been thrown off balance. I'm astonished, I'm amazed, I I don't know what to do with this. It's upsetting my whole world. My boat is rocking, I'm going to sink. I don't know. It would describe when uh, the predictable world in which I have always lived has now been so upset. In a very positive way it may be. But it's upset. It uh, what, what has just happened doesn't fit. So I'm at a loss for words. You get it? Isaiah said. And hear me. Because 95 or more percent of the use of these words describes the acts of God. But in the Old Testament. But... But here it says that I and the children sharing the same humanity of course in in the Old Testament we are for signs and for wonders in the middle of the terror the fear let loose in Isaiah 7 and 8 here stood a family that just rested and trusted in the Lord to work out his intention the intentions of his love to work out the rest of history though it seemed to them that history was about to end with these terrorists but here stands people in total peace total peace and and they're saying God works out his purpose and his purpose is bigger than these characters up north They became a sign that the family became a pointer away from themselves to the almighty love of God that kept his people and worked out every promise he'd ever made. They themselves, just in the way they were, they were a wonder. People were astonished. They said, What's the matter with you? You're not being anxious. You're not worried. What's the matter with you? Sign and a wonder. It's interesting that when people trust in God to the point that their lives become a sign and a wonder, that is spiritual warfare. Have you ever thought about that? Some people think spiritual warfare is only in shouting at the demons to leave. There's a place for that, believe me. But there's another kind of spiritual warfare that is it's there all over Scripture, but you don't always see it. And that is this. When we live in such peace that it is the peace of God manifested in us, we live in such peace that there is the joy of the Lord with it. And The people said, this is no time to be peaceful or joyous. That kind of peace... That kind of stand in the middle of what's going on, that is, I say, spiritual warfare, for it is the horror of the enemy. Underscore that. You want to talk about terror? We terrify the enemy by being the sign and the wonder that stand at peace in the middle of the worst he can do. We are the worst nightmare of the enemy. So, and again, referring back to when this was first used, the, the plagues and the Red Sea and so on, all the peoples, all the demonized peoples around that area, all those, you know, you, you read of them in the early books of the Bible, the, the ites, you know, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, the all of those, and, and and 40 years after the Exodus, 40 years after the Red Sea, in the city of Jericho, in Joshua, I think, chapter 5, it says that the hearts of the people, that, that's these people whose trust and expression was the demonic, but it says their hearts melted within them, they had a meltdown why? because he says, we we remember the signs and the wonders that happened in Egypt yeah, that's terrifying to the enemy to see you living in the peace of God is Satan's worst nightmare his biggest what can I say his weapon is to intimidate you and bring you to anxiety gotcha He, he doesn't seek really to do anything with it necessarily, just as long as you stay in a state of intimidation anxiety. And when you stand in that situation, in the face of intimidation, and you stand in peace with, with your trust in, in the character of God, that sign and a wonder, that, that's, huh, that's the terror to the enemy. He, he's got nothing left. But now, okay, you got that? Now jump to Hebrews again. And what is it saying? Can I say it again? That the the finale of what is encapsulated here in Isaiah 8 now becomes (laughs) the event of all history. That God so enters into our humanity that he shares our humanity. God assumed a brain like ours. God God assumed lungs and a liver and kidneys and gallbladder just like ours. And function like ours. That leaves me. It's the greatest wonder of all time. But then the the news of, of wonder on top of wonder causing astonishment the gospel that he he got inside of our death he who knew no sin came and assumed our sin and carried that whole twisted self that was self for itself the whole world system the darkness he got inside of it and he carried it to death and he rose out of death yes as the man the human he conquered death he reversed the energy of death death died and he came out of the tomb and he came out of the tomb bringing you with him so that as we believe upon Him, as we trust Him, then death itself, the dominion of death, the darkness, Satan, sin, has no more dominion over us. For we are one with Him, Jesus, who is God but is become in fact and in truth our authentic brother human. And He's carried us with Him into the presence of the Father. And that is eternal life. Eternal life isn't that you're going to live forever. I mean, you will. But eternal life, just living forever, quite honestly, would be the most boring thing I can ever think of. Just living. And all those idiotic pictures that we have of heaven and i mean idiotic because they're not in the bible of hanging around on clouds people think of you know ghostly creatures <laughs> i don't even go there i'll waste time no heaven the, the immediate presence of god knowing the father even as jesus knows him so we carried in jesus to know the father as he knows the father Now! Now! That's eternal life. It's living life as the Holy Trinity lives life. It's God life. Of course, that will last forever, but it will be filled with unbelievable adventure and excitement and dancing and singing and, yeah, joy unspeakable, full of glory that begins now and goes on. And so when this world looks at a believer, One who is trusting in Jesus. He who first loved us, who first came into our ghetto and joined us so that he might take a hold of us and carry us into his. What? The house seems too weak. into this dimension of unbelievable wonder and glory and excitement and life. Yeah, that's the gospel. See, what I keep making reference to religion. Sometimes I think I should say legalism. But I think you know what I mean. Legalism avoids everything I've just said oh it's in there. well not always but it's, it's in many of their books of doctrine, I mean they'll, they'll pull it out, blow the dust off and in a voice like reading the Manhattan Telephone Directory they'll tell you that God became flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary and he died and he rose again means absolutely nothing because they're not joined to that, they talk about it, it's, it's out there somewhere religion has drained the wonder out of the gospel. It has reduced these words of astonishing and amazing. They've reduced it to boring. Isn't that amazing? you wonder people can sleep through church. Good grief, man. I'm not blaming you. Huh. The way the gospel is presented, I don't wonder everybody goes to sleep. You see, we've reduced it to a matter of doctrine over which we argue and split. It's amazing. We argue over doctrine and end up hating each other when the entire gospel is the miracle of loving one another. I believe in doctrine. Of course I do. I am a doctor of theology. Oh yes, I am nuts about doctrine, but that doctrine has got to be connected. I have got to become that doctrine. That doctrine has got to be real, not just say that Jesus was born of a virgin and died and rose again and lives forevermore. No, I have to know that Jesus. He's got to be my life. And I in him and he in me presents me to the Father as he so that I live my life in him in fellowship with God the Father. Yeah, but it's as I say, religion has reduced that to something boring because it's disconnected. It's words in a book. It doesn't mean anything. When religion talks, it doesn't sound real you hear it on television you you, you hear it and, and well, just, just the way they talk it, it sounds unreal it's all about yesterday what God did 2,000 years ago and, and then if you've got an evangelical it's all about tomorrow tomorrow in the millennium in heaven when we'll all walk on golden streets or something It's, it's things far away what about now What about now in this micro-moment as I'm talking, you're listening, Jesus Christ alive, here, now, unchanged. Only now He's living in me and in you and He and we together are a sign and a wonder. No. (laughs) It's amazing. At the very suggestion, you might say at the smell, the waft, on the air of a wonder religion is horrified, that's interesting it's in the Bible, only the devil gets horrified at wonders a person who is a walking wonder in the sense I've just been talking can expect to be sooner or later excommunicated from religion it's amazing John because they are living what the Book of Doctrine says, you get excommunicated. Because religion deals only with a kind of mythology. You know what I mean? If you press them, you almost hear them wonder if it did happen. it's, It's unreal. It's a mythology. But we believers are so joined to Jesus and Jesus to us that we are the living wonder of what doctrine says. It, it says in Titus, is it chapter 2, I believe, where, where it actually says that we should adorn, I like that word, adorn ourselves with the doctrine. Adorn, like like putting on you're not only your best clothes but the clothes of ultimate celebration you adorn yourself with the doctrine that is you become the living you become a sign and a wonder no religion is described in Timothy as having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof Let let me and I might have said this before forgive me if I have, because it can be very boring if you've heard it before. But sometimes um, on TV, the Animal Planet or Discovery or the Net Geo um, stations, they they have these animal things, A- and many times they go to Africa and and you see the animals in the wild and. It's a weird experience to watch, especially if the other people there. I remember um, some time ago, and the program was on how elephants talk to each other, and there's these noises inside the elephant in the head area, and it's it's like like great rolling thunder. And, and but then it changes. There's all these sounds that echo and bounce inside the elephant. It, they're talking to each other, and, and they answer with, with these rumbles. And, and, um, and the people watching along with me, they're, they're sitting. You know, uh, how interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got a fact that uh, can be of use, maybe in a game of trivia or something. Well, you see, it was entirely different for me because I've been there actually I was on my belly dragging myself through a herd of what was estimated at about uh, 500 elephants, 4 or 500 elephants in this great plain and I had to get to the other side and, and so my guide said we've got to go through and he says you, you, you don't crawl because they think you are lion and will smash you and you, the only way through is on your belly and I went through on my belly, cold sweat running down me. And I heard the elephants talking. I mean, right above my head, here, here right beside my face, there was this enormous foot and there was a trunk going backwards and forwards over me as the elephants were talking to each other, saying, who the heck is this? What the heck is this? And, and boy, that's a difference from looking at something that, I mean, it's so far away, it it, it could be mythology, but it's, it's enough for a game of trivia, it's enough to file away for some nonsensical conversation where I can bring it up. Yeah, but you see, it wasn't that to me. It was as if I had stepped into the screen of the television and I was there because as I watched it I could feel that sweat trickling down behind my ear and I could hear those elephants talking it wasn't a TV program I had been there I had stepped into the TV like the children going through the wardrobe into Narnia you see we've got to step through doctrine into the very presence of this it's real it's real God is our Abba God the Son did become flesh and is still in our human flesh and that's why we now are related to heaven. That's why we have a place by sheer gift, grace where we can stand inside the Holy Trinity and talk familiarly with the Father just as Jesus. It's not a TV program. We got through the screen. We're on the other side. We walked through the looking glass. We went down the rabbit hole. Do, do what you will, but you get what I'm talking about. And how does that happen? The Holy Spirit is the one. Because religion has one thing in common. Wherever you find it, religion is terrified of the Holy Spirit. Religion will not talk about the Holy Spirit. As far, If you just sit and listen to them for a year, you wouldn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit turns us into signs and wonders because He is the one who communicates to us all that Jesus has accomplished. So it's not past history, though it is happened in our history but it's not merely past history the Holy Spirit brings it right into me now that I can sit here look you in the eye and say Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit does now at this moment live inside of me and I live inside of him we are one And where he is I am and where I am he is the Holy Spirit does that And the response of people when the first time that that ever happened was Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit took up residence in human beings, bringing with Him relationship to the Father, which was the same as the relationship of Jesus in His humanity, and bringing into us the humanity of Jesus God inside of me. The first time that happened, Acts chapter 2, the response of the people... You remember? They said, what does this mean? Others say, you've got to be getting that drunk out of their mind. No. That was the beginning of a company of human beings so joined to God the Son, Jesus Christ as to know the Father which is eternal life. And all because of the Holy Spirit bringing that to us. What does it mean? It means (laughs) It means the church has begun to happen. It's almost, you know, I use the word church today and immediately everybody's face drops because they associate church with religion. But if I use it as it is in the New Testament, it means a company of people. A company of people that are in fact the very body, the very presence of Jesus Christ upon earth who are the gateway of heaven. It's, it, the, these people are the gate through which the glories of heaven come into earth, into the darkness, into the negativity, into the emptiness and poverty of this world. That's the truth. The gospel is not a concept of God. It's not something you sit and discuss only It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. It's the power of God. It's knowing. In my experience, knowing by personal observation, Jesus is alive and has introduced me to His Father to become my Father. That's where worship... That's what worship is all about. Worship is not just you know the few songs before the preacher gets up to preach worship is a way of life worship is wondering standing astonished and amazed at the love and the goodness of God revealed in Jesus worship do you remember in the Psalms he says who is like unto you among the gods he said of all the Do it yourself, gods. Buy the kit in Walmart. Create your own God according to your own thoughts. All these trinket gods. Then he says, But you, who is like unto you among the gods? Or, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all blessings in the Holy Spirit. Even the word hallelujah, you know that's a Hebrew word that we never translate it. Hallel uya, Hallel? Do you really want to know what that means? The word Hallel, look it up in any Hebrew dictionary. The word Hallel, it means to boast and brag. It actually means to do so until you've made a fool of yourself. Yes, that's what it means. It, It means to act stupid because you are so standing in awe of of who God really is that all you can do is boast, brag, talk until people are saying that you're a little nuts, you know it's like granddad bringing out the pictures of his grandchildren for the 200th time because he's so proud hallelujah, oh God you're so great, I want to brag on you, I want to boast on you, or oh, 1 John 3, behold, see we don't use that word anymore because we are a people that have forgotten to be amazed, as a people we're, we yawn and pretend we know even when we don't, we're ashamed of wonder, and the word behold it means stand in wonder look, look you're seeing something you've never seen before something that astonishes you something that reduces you to almost silence behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God and you see we surrender to this wonder gospel it's we don't have time. But we've talked about it before. The word repent. Re- repent does not mean mulling over my wretched past like picking at some scab. And no, no. It's not talking to God about what a wretch I've been and what a no-good idiot I've been. No, no, that's not. That's that's religion. They want you to do that every Sunday night. But no, repentance means... I have seen the glory of God and it has radically changed my mind to look at what God is now for me, toward me, what he, what he has done for me and he calls me his child and he calls me to a glorious incredible future. That's repentance. I, I know. I know it doesn't. I, I won't give you a history of the word repentance, but if all the words in the Bible, that one has been, the very English word is is reeking, reeking, corrupted with with religion. It doesn't doesn't mean what the church says it means. It means what I just said. I mean, look it up. It is. In any Greek dictionary, well, he, it, it means a radical exchange of thoughts. It's an exchange of mind. I dump all the thoughts I had about life. I used to think I'd got it made. I used to think I'd, I'd really found what life was about. I dump that. Life is in Jesus Christ. I, I used to think I was no good, unworthy a groveling wretch that God could only condemn and I thought he really got a kick out of seeing me grovel and be ashamed and so the more I could say I'm guilty I'm guilty I'm sorry I'm sorry the more God got excited that's what I was raised on but no it doesn't mean that It means repentance. It means I'm finished with the past. I'm moving into God's love. I'm moving into what He declares about me, which is that I'm His child. He delights in me. I'm declaring what God thinks of me, that He so loved me. He became the same as me to carry me to where He is hmm it's amazing wonder as I trust in the wonder of this good news I become a wonder I become a sign I mean just think about it just think about it the Holy Spirit dwells in you if he doesn't well the, the scripture says Romans day if, if any man have not the spirit of Christ he's none of his it, it's the mark that's how you know a believer the Holy Spirit is within you that that sense that, that knowing which is beyond thoughts that you are his child that knowing that he rose from the dead and you rose with him that longing that puts you listening to me tonight that's who you are to think that you are one with Christ I mean if it takes a week let it take a week let that sink into you You, oh, Jesus said I am in you you are in me abide in me live in me stay in me make this your home he said And it says the love of God is poured out in your heart. You didn't realize there was so much religion in you, did you? As you're just backing off and saying, hold it, I'm not sure about that. Hmm. The love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit, says Romans 5 and 5. And what does that result in? That you and I love one another even as Jesus loves us. And how does Jesus love us? He said he loves us as the Father loves him. You've been caught up, sucked into the love of the Holy Trinity to live that love on this earth. Hmm. That's Christianity, by the way. That's the gospel. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you is love. It is joy. The joy that God, the joy of the Holy Trinity, the joy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is in you. The gladness of heart, the laughter in life, peace. Total harmony, regardless of what's happening around you. Gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, all that. It, it's you. That, that's who is in you. The potential, the seed that shall be the fruit. The joy. Look yes I quoted from Isaiah that eye has not seen nor ear heard neither is it conceived in the heart of man but in the New Testament he quotes that and goes on to say but the Holy Spirit has revealed that to us so we have touched this we've touched the incredible love and joy and peace and relationship of the world of the Holy Trinity And you walk in this world, yes, in this world, this whole system, corrupt and rotten, but it says, in the midst of which you are lights that shine. You, said, you, you, said Jesus, are the light of the world. Hmm. And that Holy Spirit within you is the origin and the source of spontaneous giftings as needed. So that the works that Jesus did, you do also. Jesus said that. And I could, I mean, I live yet no longer. I, Christ lives in me. As He is, so are we in this world, says 1 John 2. Jesus said, You are in the world, but you're not of it, even as I am not of this world. You see, the Holy Spirit Carries you through the TV screen. The Holy Spirit carries you through that little book of doctrine that your church has, and you're in the midst of the reality. No wonder you become significant. You become a sign. You just and you don't have to be quoting Bible at people. You don't have to be handing out tracts and looking awfully evangelistic. Just being yourself. But you see the way you look at life and the way you hope and expect is so utterly different from those around you. Isaiah and his children, way back there in the dim twilight zone of the Old Testament, but when people looked at them, they were a sign that pointed to the reality of their God we are signs that point to the reality of the gospel that Jesus Christ lives in us and we live in him in the Father we're not corpse tossed on the ocean of circumstance and situations no the Holy Spirit I say carries us into the picture in fact in John 14:15:16 it speaks of the holy spirit as the teacher that he's he's your coach he's the one who's at your elbow to be your personal coach teaching you how to live this life connecting you with these truths Again, it says the Holy Spirit, He shall guide you into all truth. And that word guide is a specific word. It means a guide into what is hitherto unknown territory. He's taking you where you've never gone, never dreamed. But He's taking you there, all right. Holy Spirit does that. And as He does it, and I'll quit here, but I've got to say this. As he does this, he doesn't condemn you. Because it could be very easy to say, well, that doesn't look very much like me. So therefore, and we go zooming back, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm unworthy, oh God, help me. No, 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 please, get out. God loves you. When the prodigal son came back smelling like a pig, the father put his arms around him and crushed him to his breast and kissed his filthy face all over and says, you are my son. And when the son wanted to talk about the wretchedness that he'd been in in the far country, the father was not interested. The father's not interested in all your confessions of sin. Father loves you. And all the father wants is to bring you from where you are to his vision of you. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. So anything that has challenged you tonight is not to condemn you. Anything that you look at and say, but that's not me. No, it isn't you presently. But the one who lives within you is the potential of all of that. And that one loves you so crazily. He's nuts about you. He's firing his belly over you. And all he wants to do is take you on a journey into what we've been talking about the only thing I can do in all of this is say here I am let it be unto me according to your word I want this open the eyes of my understanding show me I reach out my hand take me Holy Spirit I want you my coach I want you to guide me into all truth and he does well I think that's it for this week I do, I really do want to see you at the retreat. This is almost, we're coming up now to when I'm going to say it's too late. It's cut off. But to have you in a retreat situation with myself, with Nancy, and to to be along with a room full of people that all are seeing things as you see them, who are craving what you want. I honestly, I pray and I want to see you at the retreat the first weekend of December. Call the office today or you can go to our web page and you can do it all online but please, please join us for our winter retreat. and now the blessing of God, who is Almighty Love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May He this day open the eyes of your understanding, take you into the heavenly world with eyes wide open, that you might see what eyes have not seen, hear what ears have not heard, that your heart might embrace what hearts have not embraced. Holy Spirit, do your work in all who have listened this night. For thus I bless you, and so it is. Amen.